This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. They say everything old is new again. Uh, That applies to fashion, that applies to music, that applies to motion pictures. Well, now it even applies to food. You know, if uh, you listen to this program, that one of my absolute favorite snacks, something I enjoy in absolutely every manner, something that I believe is both delicious and nutritious. It's filling. It's wonderful. It's quick. It's easy. Does not require a whole lot of work is cottage cheese. Cottage cheese is now in the midst of making a monstrous comeback. They say this was uh, a diet staple back into the 1970s. I think it goes back even farther than that. Here is uh, a commercial from the 60s for Seal Test cottage cheese. Now, a new creation from Seal Test. Cottage cheese in ready-to-serve portions. Handy envelopes bring you brand new convenience and ease. Zip, it's open, quick and neat. Just the amount you need. The easy way to serve cottage cheese. The rest stays moist and creamy. Ready for next time. Are they handy? Cottage cheese in ready-to-serve portions. So easy to use, quick, and no bother at all. The rest stays really fresh, moist, and creamy. Yes, serving cottage cheese was never as easy as this. Seal Test's new square package with handy, ready-to-serve portions. Zip, it's open. Simple as can be. The rest stays moist and creamy fresh. You'll love Seal Test Cottage Cheese in new ready-to-serve portions. Get some soon. I'm a fan, and I am glad that, uh, well, I mean, honestly, I don't care. I don't care if nobody likes the things that I like. In fact, I prefer it. I like to be an iconoclast. I like to do things a little bit differently, except for the fact that sometimes the things that I like then go out of fashion and are no longer available. Tab, for instance. But in July, in part driven by TikTok people, Google searches for cottage cheese rose to the highest levels recorded since 2004. And the New York Times did an article back, you know, at the time asking the question, is cottage cheese actually good for you? Since, you know, a lot of times 
things that we're told were good for us back in the 70s aren't necessarily good for us in the 2020s. And, you know, kind of every decade has the foods that are good for you. And then we all realize, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We shouldn't have been eating all that bacon and milk. So compared with other dairy products, cottage cheese is relatively low calorie. A half cup serving of full fat cottage cheese contains around 100 calories, whereas an equal serving of rigot contains about 190 calories, and a three-quarter cup serving of full-fat Greek yogurt has about 160 calories. So it has fewer calories than Greek yogurt. And it has a range of nutritional benefits. One serving, one serving provides about 30% of the recommended daily allowance of selenium. That's an essential trace mineral mineral that's critical for DNA synthesis and warding off cell damage. Who needs cell damage? I don't know about you, but I don't. If the selenium from cottage cheese is warding off cell damage, then I promise you I'm not having any cells damaged because I, I devour cottage cheese. It also contains riboflavin, which helps your cells grow and produce energy. It has phosphorus, which maintains your teeth and bones. It's got calcium, which a lot of Americans don't get enough of in their um, diet. And obviously, it's very high in protein. Now, it does contain a lot of sodium. But, um, you know, I think on the whole, it's a very healthy food. And part of the comeback of cottage cheese is... All these people sharing all these creative ways to use it. I just spoon it straight from the tub. And since we found out about all these TikTok crazes back in July, I've begun adding a little Dijon mustard to it. And I have to tell you, I love it. It's my favorite snack in the world. When I wake up in the afternoon, you know, I I don't generally eat breakfast. um, But when I wake up in the afternoon, I will, one of my little treats, one of my bonuses is I'll see that my son Carmine has started a little container of cottage cheese and not finished it, and he left it in the refrigerator for me. I mean, he didn't intend it to be for me, but I'm not going to let it sit there un, you know, unfinished, just half opened like that, or come open and uh, half completed. So I finished that cottage cheese, a little squirt of Dijon mustard. I love it. Some people put it over toast like burrata. Others people blend it with sweet ingredients to make healthier versions of ice cream or something along those lines. However you enjoy it, it is certainly enjoyable. But I I came across another article. This is in the New York Times style sections from yesterday or the day before. You know what else is making a comeback? It's not just the healthy foods. 70s-style desserts are making a comeback. And I think this is really interesting because my stepmother... She recently discovered this cookbook from the 60s. I don't know if she had it or she bought it somewhere. And she's a great cook, almost a gourmet cook. And she made, maybe a year or so ago, a whole meal for all of us on Sundays straight out of this 1960s cookbook. And we all remarked how a lot of these things aren't things that you really see anymore, like Jell-O molds. Well, with nostalgia for the 70s, you are seeing... High-end restaurants include as staples of their menu desserts from the 1970s. Bunt cake, black forest cake, all sorts of uh, retro desserts are making a monstrous comeback.
Baked Alaska, another elaborate retro recipe. I'm not going to list all these restaurants that are doing this, uh, but if you want to, you know, I'll I'll share the article. If you want to read the article, uh, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash moranofan, facebook.com slash moranofan. You know, every decade has its desserts. You remember about 15 years ago, molten lava cake was everywhere. Now it's kind of slowed down. You don't see it anymore. Or not, at least not as ubiquitous as it was. When I was in Italy, this is only four years ago, every restaurant that we went to, they were pushing you to get the tiramisu. I I honestly never really loved tiramisu. It's too thick for me, too rich. But I think part of what drives the nostalgia for food is the same thing that drives nostalgia for movies, for fashion. We remember these foods, in this case, these desserts, from a time in our lives when we perceived that things were better. Sometimes they really weren't better, but we think they were better through the prism of nostalgia. We look back at that point in our youth and say, oh, it was so nice to enjoy a a macaroni and cheese or a meatloaf, or in this case, a bundt cake. And I think you're seeing that's one of the reasons why these very expensive restaurants are having a field day with these retro desserts. So I'd love to hear your reaction to that. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hi, Jay. Hey, Frank. She's great stuff. Uh, my first tax-paying job at Sears, I would eat my lunch at the Sears restaurant and have the Weight Watchers lunch. It was a hamburger patty, cottage cheese on lettuce, tomato, and a vegetable and some pineapple. It was great. Mm. Sounds great. So what do you think is driving this nostalgia for uh, these both vintage desserts and for cottage cheese, which very much is kind of a throwback? Probably us geezers. I love the 70s. Um, my grandmother made some awesome pickles, mustard pickles, chow chow, sweet pickles, sour pickles. And the best thing that I loved this time of year was her plum pudding with hard sauce, which is sugar and butter. Oh boy, I've never I've never had that Jay, but I can see why you loved it. Thank you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Alfredo is in Newark. Hello Alfredo. Yes, Frank, how are you? I want to comment on the 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 guy who was talking about the speed limit uh, limitation. Mm-hmm. I am so happy of that because uh I see, I drive the whole night every day and uh, I see too many drivers, bad drivers driving on the highway and uh, with that I will be so happy and that will be so good for people because too too many dies on the road every year as you know the statistics and uh, you know I wonder why the cars they reach they can reach 140 miles 160 miles when it is not necessary. Well, I agree with you. I mean, we covered this not only uh, last hour but yesterday as well. I, I don't. I don't. I agree. I agree, and uh, I think uh, Professor Banzaf brings up a very compelling solution as to what can be done about it. I'd love to see people start doing this state by state. I, I completely agree. Make it part of the inspection process. Thanks, Alfredo. 800-848-9222. Sophie is at work. Hello, Sophie. Good morning. Merry Christmas, you guys. I love listening to you guys, and thank you for keeping me awake. Oh, thank you. What kind of work do you do, Sophie? I'm a guard. Oh, very nice. 
So but what's on your mind, Sophie? I just want to make a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to make a comment about totally agree with you guys about having the kids, you know, uh, spend so much time. We are actually ruining their lives by letting them be on all the electronics. And, I mean, they get so immune, you know, to the violence. And if we look, you know, look at all the kids that are committing, you know, the, uh, um, what do you call that? The, uh, I'm not sure. Where they're shooting the kids. Ah, Where they go in the schools, you know, active shooters, active Mm -hmm. shooters. Now, they have no goals. I mean, total loners. They spend probably all of their time on screen, which is probably watching something, you know, because the good games, we have to admit, you know, are probably with a lot of blood and guts and everything else. So it's making it so much easier for them, you know, to have all that rage and then to release, you know, on whatever they find. I think that's I think that's definitely an issue, Sophie, in terms of desensitization to violence. I think that's very real. I think there and thanks for the call, Sophie. I think there's sort of two separate issues that are in some ways related and in other ways very different. I think two. The first issue is screen time, right? Uh, Do kids have too much screen time? I think on the whole, it's clear that the answer is yes, but. Sometimes, you know, a lot of the parents that I talk to, they say that a lot of what their children are engaging with is very educational. And they point to specific examples. And I get this from my neighbors. They tell me about the kinds of educational games that have helped their children learn to count, learn the alphabet, learn all sorts of things, learn how to type. Um, I, You can do that kind of thing. Or you can do things that are, you know, that are much more deleterious. You know, my I have three siblings but they're you know they're technically half siblings we have the same father different mothers and they did not grow up watching any television they they were when they were a little older they were able to watch television after dinner but very little very little television and their peers some of their peers and they're all very successful great people very talented very bright and their peers Many of them grew up with their parents allowing them, for whatever reason, to watch the maximum amount of television allowable. And I know this because, you know, I asked their peers' parent. And there's not an easy split of, oh, the kids that didn't get to watch television, they're all super successful. And the kids that did watch television, they're all failures. There are plenty of kids that when they become adults, they're not couch potatoes, they're not out of shape, they're not lazy, they're not homeless. There are plenty of kids that did grow up watching a lot of television that uh, have grown uh, up and had very successful careers, very rewarding lives, very well-rounded lives. So I I think we need to be careful about um, drawing too many generalizations. I think the point that you raise, Sophie, is a good one, that when you see violence as a game or through imagery, that there is a risk that you get desensitized to it. And I think, you know, when I see children not enjoying a beautiful day because they're on their tablets, 
it really just makes me sad, and uh, it also makes me nervous because I see how my son is attracted to those screens and wants to run and follow the the bright lights, and I don't want him to. So I think that, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that anybody that uh, that lets their child look at a tablet or something for a long car ride or at a restaurant is not doing the right thing. You do what you have to do. I mean, we all make sacrifices. I just think, uh, you know, Claire Nader, and we had her on this show, Ralph Nader's sister, a brilliant woman, she wrote this book about called You Are Your Own Best Teacher. And it really does, it's geared for tweens, and it really does make a strong case that there's so much more to be learned when children don't have their head buried in a smartphone. Uh, so I, um, look, I, I think there's two separate issues. They're related but they're not totally distinct. There's what children are indulging in, whether it's violent video games or pornography or something negative, or it's just being on the smartphone in general. I think it is possible to curate very productive content for them. All right, 800-848-9222 if you have a comment on retro desserts coming back or um, the surge of cottage cheese and again we we mentioned that back in july when um when that was breaking records again but uh I, you know maybe because of the popularity of the dessert article i you know i subscribe to several of these new york times newsletters maybe because of the popularity of the dessert article they blasted out this article about cottage cheese as well but it got it got people talking about it and i'm a fan Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Good morning. Uh, I was a preteen in the uh, late uh, in the sixties and the early seventies, and uh, space travel uh, uh, affected a lot of our, our foods. And I was a poor eater, so my parents would like kind of like anything to get me to eat. And I remember these. I think they. I don't know. Space bars. They were like the predecessors to power bars. And they and they were like Tootsie Rolls, giant Tootsie Rolls. And um, a lot of new things came out of the space program. And my parents said, oh, oh, this is like candy, you know, like eat it. <laughs> you know, it's got nutrition in it and everything. And I can remember Tang, uh, the powdered drink being pushed on us. And now <laughs> now my husband and I laugh. It was like, what the heck was in Tang? I think they still make Tang, actually. Yeah, I, I thought they do. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I'm still alive, and I was a horrible eater. And um, it was it, it was interesting in the 60s, um, new ways of packaging things and freezing things came out, although when you're living it, you don't realize it. And it was like a big treat to get a TV dinner like, oh, is it Popeye or TV dinner night? And, you know, the TV dinners were a lot better than they are now. And they gave you a nice portion and it would come in foil. And I can remember as a kid, like thinking, oh, this is so cool. And, you know, I would eat that, you know, it's, it's interesting what, what gets kids' attention. And at school, I remember a separate area, not a bad area, a nice area of the cafeteria where um, they would set up these beautiful platters for the diabetic kids. Oh. And um, they would lay it out for them. And it was cottage cheese and vegetables and fruit. And I remember sitting there, and, and it's funny, I remember saying, boy, that looks really good. Why don't we all eat at that? And who knows, maybe I was a blooming, like, you know, organic eater or something, you know, and I just didn't like a lot of the foods, uh, although my mother was a great cook and everything, but I just didn't have an appetite until till puberty. 
But I remember looking at that. Our, our cafeteria, I lived in North Jersey as a kid. They, they made homemade meals that were fantastic. It's unfortunate that I didn't have an appetite at that time. My sister did. She enjoyed the meals. But I would come home with my lunch and everything, and I wouldn't eat. But the space program did, you know, I, I remember being interested in those Tootsie Roll things. I did eat those and Tang. And, uh, and the thing that kept me alive through the 60s was milk. If it wasn't for ice cream and milk, because it had, you know, the good, good ice cream with egg in it and everything. Mm. And uh, my parents were like, all right, you don't want to eat dinner? How about a bowl of ice cream? Anything to get me to eat. And um, so when people put down milk, I always tell, like, so many young people in the supermarket, I, I can hardly find milk or cream anymore because you've got your oatmeal and your almond milk. And I would tell people, you know, nothing against that if you like it, whatever. But there's still room for cow's milk. And I would tell people how there's a lot of good ingredients in cow's milk. And, um, you know, I might be a little lactose intolerant, but you know what? I put up with it. I still love milk. Well, and don't, isn't there, stuff. my friend Vinny is lactose intolerant too, and he takes an enzyme or something, and then he's able to eat all sorts of dairy. Oh, you know what? I, I, I know they, they make lac, lactose-free uh, milk, uh, and I never tried the enzyme. But you know what I do? It's funny. If I combine, over time, I've learned how to live with it. Like if I combine a protein, with with a milk substance, it, it's kind of interesting. I was talking to this this person one time who um, had a medical background, and they said, "Well, you've learned, you know, back in the day, they didn't know what it was." So I might have been like hypoglycemic, along with I have this weird allergy to eggs. I love eggs, but if I eat too many of them, the enzyme in the egg uh, gets to me, and I get nauseous. Mm. So that might might have been the problem that I had in the '60s, but they didn't know how to diagnose it. So he told me, you know what? You've learned how to live with it. And, and uh, like in the morning, I need like, I like a full meal in the morning. I eat like supper in the morning and then another like semi-supper in the afternoon. And then I try not to eat too much after three. All right. Well, whatever, as long as we need, you're eating something that keeps you awake during these hours, Pamela, because we need you as a listener and a caller. Hey, Pamela, thank you for the perspective. I just got an SMS text message here, and you can SMS text message me as well. I've done this, what, what I'm about to read to you. This is from Jack in Baltimore. I hollow out a bell pepper and fill it with low-fat cottage cheese. Simply healthy and delicious. Friendship Dairy makes a whipped cottage cheese. As far as I know, they're the only ones that make a whipped cottage cheese. It's the greatest thing. Jack in Baltimore. I have not tried that whipped cottage cheese, but I'll tell you what I do do. I have a food processor. Although, you know, my wife keeps hiding all of these food accessories that I have. I have juicers and other things, and she hides them. I don't know where they are, and then I end up not using them. And then when we stumble across them, she says, oh, here's the whatever, the onion peeler that you never use. Well, I'm not using it because it's hidden. Because I have to go through a, an obstacle course to find it. That's why I'm not using it. And then she uses the fact that I don't use it as, a, as evidence that it should be thrown away. No. Let's keep it somewhere where I can see it. So anyway, I have this food processor that I got for, for free, actually, from a casino. Really neat. And I put the cottage cheese in the food processor, and sometimes I'll throw different things in there. Different herbs, different garlics. And I whip the cottage cheese myself. It's delicious. It's delicious both just to spoon or to put on something or to use as a dip. Five star. Five star. I recommend it if you have a food processor. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. 
Yeah, hi, Frank. You know, you have a certain knack about you must be an old soul because all you had to do was say the word seal test and you opened up a panorama on my past. And now I'm like totally reminiscing. In the late 60s, my, I had two sisters and my father, they were constantly looking to lose weight. So they hit upon cottage cheese. It was like the fat at the time. Sure. And our refrigerator was packed with tubs of seal test cottage cheese for like like three, four years. And my father would eat it and my two sisters would eat it. And I would simply look at the container and like say, what's this for, you know? And occasionally I would like take a taste of it and say, eh, no big deal, you know, I didn't need to lose weight. I was, a, I was a little athlete at the time, you know, I was the only one that didn't have to lose weight. Maybe my mother didn't either, but my sisters, they used it as a weight loss tool for like years. So you really brought back something very interesting. And I'm going to start eating it again because now I have to lose weight. I'm in your boat right now, Frank. Yeah, well, I, have to I lose mean, weight. I'm not super heavy, Larry, but I could stand to lose a few pounds. And yeah, I find uh, cottage cheese to be very, uh, you know, very effective in that regard. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I know I'd go from rags to riches if you would only say you care. Though my pocket may be empty, I'd be a millionaire. My clothes may still be torn and tattered. The great Tony Bennett, who we lost recently, singing Rags to Riches. You know, it's funny, I got a call yesterday for from... Um, 
Pat Cooper's wife, his, his widow, uh, Emily, and we're catching up, and uh, she's talking about how uh, how depressing it is that all these people have died. <laughs> and she mentions not only Pat, who was 94, but uh, Tony Bennett and several other people that uh, that we both admired. And she said, "Well, what are you going to do? They're all they're all old, <laughs> you know." Pat's wife is uh, significantly younger than, um, you know, obviously than he was. And uh, she called and just to catch up on a bunch of things and uh, thank me for a note that I sent her when Pat passed and some of the remarks that I made about him on the radio. And she said they're actually looking to do a uh, New York-based memorial for him. So I don't know if that's going to be open to the public or not, but she asked me to help with it, which obviously I said I'd be happy to. So I am going to... I'm going to encourage her to make that open to the public because I think a lot of folks would, you know, be like to be part of the public mourning process for Pat Cooper. I really do. All right. Um, this is, as I mentioned, a uh, selection of Camille Ignizio, the mother of my friend Vinny, who, when he was in the city council, appointed me to the community board and I had to leave um, for a time. I served on there for a few years and I don't talk about it a lot for a variety of reasons, but I recently got appointed again and I'm serving on my local community board. It's a lot of fun. My only beef with it is they still have virtual meetings. Now that's a story for another day, but we had our uh, annual Christmas party yesterday and because all of our meetings are virtual, whenever there's one of these things where there's an occasion to get together in person, I always try to do that. And uh, it's partners are welcome, so I brought my wife. My neighbor just got appointed, so we all kind of carpooled together. And it was fun, and I knew it was going to be fun because it's at a very good restaurant, and um, there, you know, there, there was a, it was a decent price per person, not a ripoff at all, but it was a decent price per person. And so, you know, there was going to be some wine included and some really great food. And speaking of, uh, I was thinking about this when Pamela called talking about her lack of adventurous eating. My neighbor, John Charles, he will not eat seafood. So they kept bringing all sorts of great seafood. They had this incredible shrimp dish. And then they had some fried galamad, and then they had a sweet and sour galamad. Then they had uh, this this pasta with a pesto sauce with clams on it. Out of this world, really good. And um, John Charles was, and there was stuff that he liked too. They had a steak and a chicken that he liked. But he was saying how he wishes that he was more adventurous with the eating. And his mother also lives next door to me. She, we talk about this a lot. She said that uh, she's really to blame for this because when he was a young person, she did not force him to, or encourage him, I should say, to try a variety of different foods. So she always takes the blame for that. So I'm always cognizant of that with Carmine because for the most part, he eats whatever we eat. You know, he has eaten a just, just about everything. I mean, I don't know of a, a major food group that we consume on a regular basis that he hasn't tried. Even some stuff that we don't eat, he's tried, and some stuff he likes, some he doesn't like. But with this um, with this Christmas party, they sent out all these reminders about where the party was. They sent reminders out about how to pay for it, who to pay, if you wanted to pay in person or if you wanted to pay via Venmo. So we this came up yesterday. Here's the headline of the email. 
last call for holiday party reservations. And they sent it to every member of the community board. And this is the mistake of doing this. They didn't send it via BCC. They sent it so that everyone could see one another's email address. So everybody is responding to this, at least six or seven people, saying, well, sorry, I can't make it. One person says, sorry, I have a presentation at, and he explains where where he's going to be. He can't make it. Another person says, unfortunately, working for so-and-so tomorrow. Uh, Another person writes, unfortunately, I have a prior engagement. And all I'm thinking is that I'm reading, and there's six or seven of these. Why is everyone replying all? Why not just respond to the person that sent you this? And we were talking about this driving back, and my friend who's a principal says they do this at his school all the time. People reply all when there's no need to reply all. You can just reply directly to the person that says it. And sometimes people have a a beef with me, including, you know, friends and family members, because I send all of these emails unless I want to create a dialogue among three or four people on a related issue. I send group emails via BCC. I send, if I'm sending it to 10 people that I think is interested, uh, like let's say uh, Atlantic City, for instance, uh, I'll have an Atlantic City email list that I'll send related articles to or uh, something related to uh, politics. I have, some of you might be on my political email list. Some of you might uh, be on my radio email list. I send it BCC to everybody so that you're not replying all and filling up people's inboxes. And I don't know if it's an age issue. That's what my wife theorized. She said that she thinks maybe it's just a a situation where people that tend to be older, they don't necessarily get the reply versus reply all thing. But um, if this is you, if you're part of the problem, stop doing it. Because it's annoying, quite frankly. And what happens is you then, if there's something important in that email thread, something that you should see, you almost train your brain not to look at it because you're so accustomed to, oh, this is just another person replying all that doesn't need to reply all. Have you noticed that, Matt Blaze, the the inappropriate use of the reply all? Yes, it happens everywhere. Um, I see it all the time where it's there's a direction to like reply to the email if you understand the direction that you that we got. And everybody replies all. So you see that everybody else replied. Right. Now, sometimes I'll do that on purpose because I want everybody to see that I replied to the email. You know what I mean? I want everybody to know that I apply. I, I replied. I did my job right by replying. And maybe that will prompt other people to also reply to the email. Well, see, that's different. That's not, you know, th- that's a strategic reply all. That's wanting to advertise. Yes. But I think most of what I see in the reply all world is not that. It's mostly people replying all when they don't need to. So if this is you, please stop it. Hey, by the way, did you end up getting an invite to that uh, Christmas party? No, I never inquired about that. Mm -hmm. Well, don't say I said anything. I don't want to be accused of abetting uh, an uninvited party crasher. But for some reason, I don't want to use that as an excuse for any other emails to be like, oh, I'm not on the <laughs> the all staff email list of some important email that I'm missing. And then I, or I could say, oh, well, I didn't get the email on that. I don't know. 
Exactly. Uh, I could use that as an excuse, but I'm not like that. So I'll figure out the reason why I somehow got taken off of the all staff email. Do you want to rep me at the Christmas party? You can rep me if you want. Um, I don't know that I'll be here. Uh, Maybe I will be. Well, I'm going to go. I feel, I feel like I should stop by, especially working overnights. You, um, you, you know, I I have another event that night, but I'm going to at least stop by for an hour or so. I feel like working overnights, a lot of times the rest of the radio network doesn't realize that we work here. And it's not unusual for when we have a station event or a network event to for me to meet someone for the first time that I correspond regularly with. Maybe they're an HR person or, uh, you know, an IT person, and I'll meet them in person for the first time. So there's very few opportunities, kind of like the community board thing, where these meetings are all virtual so I don't get to spend time with these people in person. Being overnight, it's it's kind of like social workplace Siberia. Now, don't get me wrong. I love it. I love being able to walk down the hallway um, five minutes before the show and not get stopped 20 times with questions that I don't have the answer to or don't need to answer right now. I've worked other day parts, and you walk around the radio station and people stop you, and by the time you get to your the studio, you feel like you have to hide out there because in order to get anything done, you have to avoid everybody. It's not like that overnight. You could roam freely. Yeah, that's what I feel like. Yeah. When there's too many people here, I'm like, get me, get me out of here. That's the first thing I do is run away. Well, I feel like get the other people out of here. But around, around <laughs> the holidays, it's, it's nice to be able to interact with folks. Christian, are you going to the, uh, the Christmas party? Yeah, uh, I definitely want to go hang out and say hi to everybody. All right, good. Well, we'll, we'll you and I will write a report for Matt Blaze and tell him tell him what I, he's missed. I feel bad for Matt Blaze. I feel like he's not cool enough now. You know what it is? I feel like, you know, because management and maybe even ownership listens to the show from time to time, and Matt went out of his way to say, I don't want to see anybody before the holidays. I don't want to see anybody after the holidays. And I guarantee you, whoever put together the the list of who gets invited to this party, they said, all right. You know, he doesn't want to see anybody before Christmas. Let's scratch him right off that invite list. Bet you that's what happened. All right. We'll bring you the uh, listener of the week in just a moment. But a couple of people have been patiently holding. Uh, let me get to as many of we can, as we can here. 800-848-9222. Robert is uh, listening on WCBM in Baltimore. Hello, Robert. Hello, Frank. Yes, and Eric, WCBM's getting ready to turn 100. I'm aware of that. And uh, they're yeah. doing great, and they look great for 100. I couldn't be happier. I'd say they are. Uh, real quick, it was about some of these uh, foods, um, if you call it that. Uh, one of the ones um, uh, was Jiffy Pop. I always liked the ritual of making Jiffy Pop on the stove. You know, I like that, too. And I bought Jiffy Pop recently, but I feel like we made an error, my wife and I, when we were when we were uh, heating it up. Not enough of the kernels popped. It didn't turn out as we imagined. But I think we're I think we're going to be home relatively early on Saturday night. So maybe we'll try it again. Maybe we'll try and watch a movie Frank, and make some Jiffy Pop. And Frank, um, real quick, um, um, another, and I don't even see it anymore because it was so disgusting then. I guess I just didn't realize it. Was Bosco, the chocolate syrup. You thought Bosco you, you, was disgusting? Oh, I did years ago. I just like Bosco and I would make mix it with milk. And looking at The, um, the looking syrup at it, or the powder? On, um, the, um, the syrup. Syrup, okay. Yeah, I and like the other Bosco. thing. Yeah, the, one, the other thing, real real quick, was the woman mentioned Tang, 
Now, I took Tang into my adulthood, actually, because it was the nicest thing to mix with vodka. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that. You know, it's funny. As Pamela was on the phone, I just I just ordered a container of Tang, and I am going to try that. That sounds great, actually. Thank you, yeah, I didn't Robert. have to pull with orange juice. I just put a couple spoons of that in, stir it up, and ready to roll. I love it. That sounds great. Hey, Robert, uh, let me ask you this. Did you ever try Moxie, the soda Moxie? Oh, my God. I do remember that, but it's been years. Did you ever try it? Yes, it was a long time ago. What did you think? it? Did you, did you like it or not? It was okay. I mean, you know, it was one of those things. It just sort of disappeared, like Tab and uh, Fresca. And, um, well, you know, um, you know you where? Know, so. Well, Tab is gone, unfortunately. The only place you can get it is a couple of uh, soda fountain places or at the Coca-Cola Museum. They still serve it. But Fresca they still make. And you know where Fresca is big? is uh, at in mexico i went last year and, 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 yeah no i'm not kidding you i wouldn't kid you about something this serious about a year ago <laughs> this week i was uh in mexico for my brother-in-law's uh wedding and the at the resort fresca was ubiquitous so they're still making it and i still see it in grocery stores the same cannot be said for for tang 800-848-9222 800-848-9222 Two two. Joe is in the Queens. Hi, Joe. Yeah, I have a two-part comment and a question for Matt Blaze. Mm. Uh, two things. Uh, I have a neighbor, and she's like from the sixties, basically her heyday, and she has a like nostalgia from the order for the automat. She said she used to get uh, like uh, they'd have like a. a, a like basically dessert sections in the automats. So she really like has a fond memory of the automats in Brooklyn. And then I was thinking if something like strawberry shortcake, which is common, wasn't available for 20 years and it would become retro automatically, even though it's not like a, uh, you know, a very uh, uh, unusual item. And uh, my question from uh, Matt is, who was Popeye's girlfriend? Does he know? Yeah, uh, he'll, Matt Blaze, did you hear his question? No, he said, who was Popeye's girlfriend? Olive oil. He's correct, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay, so that's impressive. Yeah, wait, okay. wait, why is that impressive? Everybody knows it. I thought you wanted to hear the way that he would say olive oil, if he was going to say <laughs> Earl or yeah. Earl. What what do you, do you think they were a good match? That's my second part to the question. What, but what what is Matt Blaze an authority on Popeye's relationship status? Well, for? I just want to see his expertise. What, on, let's see. Yeah. Do you have any if they were if Popeye and Olive Oil were a match? Yeah. If they were yeah. a good match? Yeah. Well, I I guess they were. I mean, he was always fighting Brutus for her or Bluto mm-hmm. or whatever they wanted to call him at both. that time. He was both. Yeah, yeah he was both. Yeah, I like Popeye. Thank you, Joe. It got me eating a lot of spinach as a uh, as a child. That's for sure. Hey, you know, by the way, not a lot of people know this, but this is the truth. At least I think it's the truth. I wouldn't tell you if it was otherwise. Do you you know what you know? What was Popeye's profession? Well, it was Popeye the Sailor Man. Right. But, exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Popeye the Sailor Man. Before he was a sailor, Popeye was in the Coast Guard. That was his original profession, Coast Guardsman, before he was a sailor. Isn't that interesting? Again, I, I think that's correct. I, I'm going to double-check that now that I've said it. But, uh, yeah, no, he was, uh, he, was a ver- he was a member of the United States Coast Guard.
originally. So, uh, before he was in the Navy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking this up now. Um, He did eventually join the Navy, but as of 1937, he was in the Coast Guard, firmly. There was, uh, again, this might seem like blasphemy to some people, but Popeye started his professional career as a civilian mariner and then a Coast Guardsman. He didn't join. He did join the Navy, but later he was firmly in the Coast Guard. As of 1937, there was a two-reel feature titled "Popeye: The Sailor Meets Alibaba's Forty Thieves," and it introduces Popeye serving at a Coast Guard station. The Sailor Man's creator did not live to see the U.S. enter World War II, but it was in 1941 that his creation joined the Navy. And the legend of Popeye, the rough-and-tumble U.S. Navy sailor, was born. But he was originally in the Coast Guard. I'm glad I remembered that correctly. All right, uh, we'll continue with your calls in just a moment. By the way, speaking of the auto, Matt, you know, uh, Joe threw me off my game, as only Joe can, by asking about uh, Popeye's girlfriend and why Matt Blaze is an authority on Popeye's girlfriend. I don't know. But maybe he is. Maybe he does something I don't. There is a wonderful documentary. I think it's available on Amazon Prime and HBO Max. It's called The Automat, and it is great. I interviewed the director when it came out about two years ago, Lisa Hurwitz. You can go back and listen to that interview. It's on our website. Just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com, search Lisa Hurwitz, or if you email me, I'll send you the link to it. It's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. She was terrific. There's this terrific documentary and it talks about the history of the Automat. It deals with all these folks that went to the Automat. Mel Brooks, who's my favorite, as you know, has a gr- he he not only has a great part in talking about the Automat, but it is he sings an Automat song. Colin Powell is in it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in it, and they're all talking about their experiences at the Automat. Really well done. I can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, go and listen to that interview first that I did with Lisa Hurwitz, and then. Then watch the movie. All right. Uh, We'll do Listener of the Week in just a moment. We'll continue with your calls. We have one open line, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Great Darlene Love, still performing, still going strong many, many years later. Hey, I want to give a um, a shout-out 
to a, a terrific radio station in uh, the Detroit area that is uh, WFDF, the Superstation AM 910 in uh, Detroit, because they are doing great. I am not only getting a lot more feedback there, uh, anecdotally from listeners, but they, I can't. I don't know how much of this information is privileged and how much I can um, give out. But they, when they started, when they flipped to a talk station, they were nowhere. I mean, not even anywhere on the radar screen of the ratings. They have moved up significantly in the ratings. And right now, the other big talk station in town, I'm not going to mention them, but it's a three-letter name, in Detroit, they're only four spots ahead of where AM 910, the superstation, is right now. And they just flipped. So they are, we are, gaining fast. Time spent listening is through the roof. Hume is through the roof. So if you're listening to us in the Detroit area, know that um, we appreciate you. And I I appreciate the opportunity to be on AM 910. All right. Well, this is around the time that we usually name the Listener of the Week. And there were a lot of contenders this week that did some great work. But if we look at the 10 criteria, frequency of listening, on-air calls and contributions, quality of written correspondence, on-topic social media participation, insight, topic suggestions, or assisting with guests, evangelism about this program, supporting me or my endeavors, subscribing to the podcast, longevity, and being nice. This year, this week's Listener of the Week is Mike in New Jersey. You know Mike in New Jersey. He's always the person with, uh, during 15 seconds of fame, with both the wittiest comment and the best phone line. Uh, That always counts for a lot, and then I can always count on him for an instant review of the show that he sends me through Instagram each and every morning. And I don't know of many listeners that are more consistent in their listeners listenership than Mike in New Jersey. So, Mike, congratulations. You get to pick the bumper music that we are playing tomorrow. Please send me your selections when you can. A lot of people were very close to being listener of the week as well. All right. Uh, those of you that are holding, I don't want to rush you as we did poor Ellen, Helen before. So I will uh, hold you over to the top of the hour. And your reward for holding is you will have an opportunity to be heard. Also, another thing I'll mention, do you know what the most read Wikipedia article was for the for 2023? Once I tell you, you're not at all going to be surprised. Any guesses, Matt Blaze? I have no idea. Right. I like Wikipedia, even though I have some problems with it, not the least of which is they won't allow me to have a Wikipedia page. The most read Wikipedia page... 49 and a half million re- downloads or reads, whatever. Chat GPT. Isn't that interesting? Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.